Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, we're getting into a conversation um, around, uh, you know, what's going on in the uh, remittances market in South Africa, but, you know, on the African continent. And we are joined uh, by probably one of the largest players in that space, that is um, that is Mukuru. Uh, a lot has been, you know, said, you know, about uh, intra um, intra-Africa trade, uh, but if you're going to do intra-Africa trade, you need to be able to to send and receive money at the most basic of levels. And we've seen over years that uh, you know Africans are on the move, and all the time there's always been a big pain point around uh, sending and receiving money across borders. Um, I think on this particular platform we have spoken about um, you know this on a number of different occasions with our friends at the likes of Bank Service. Africa around rapid payments and cross-border, all of that stuff. Uh, but for today, as I said, we are going to be talking to Mukuru just around, um, you know, what the market is looking like and uh, some of the developments that are going on at that company. And to help us to make sense of it all, we are joined by Tendai uh, Tizirai, who is uh, the um, she's got an interesting title that is a market development manager um, over at Mkuru and we're going to be getting an understanding of what's going on and then also just trying to understand what the market looks like. Tendai, greetings to you today. Hi, Muriwa. I hope you're well. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. No, thank you so much for being with us. Perhaps a good place to start, uh, Mukuru itself. Um, we've been, I've already mentioned, cross, uh, cross-border cross remittances. Um, I think the other term to throw inside there is financial technology or fintech. Uh, but perhaps you can give us uh, a fuller understanding uh, just around what the company, uh, what the company is, what it does, um, you know, and uh, the type of market that you guys are serving. So, um at Mukuru, the, our, core, our core was built on uh, international remittance. So that essentially is enabling uh, the African migrants, and as well at the moment we're offering Asia and Europe as well. So it's offering the migrants the ability to be able to send money across board. And once we had done that, what we then did is we are now offering additional services. So we're, at, we're offering insurance, we're offering um, credits, as well as a digital store value where um, customers can now access additional financial services. So I think uh, we definitely see ourselves as a next-gen financial services platform that is serving the emerging um, African consumer. So I think holistically, we are um, operating in financial services uh, space. Okay, cool. Maybe just also then get an understanding, your role specifically, when we talk about, you know, market development, what does that actually look like? It does. It sounds similar to, I, I guess, what in other uh, companies people would call business development. Uh, would I be understanding that correctly? That's, that's quite spot on, eh, Mudiwa? So, yeah, it's, 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 it's essentially business development. And in my role, what, what I do is looking at, at our existing markets as well as market expansion, which is expanding into new markets. So what that entails is finding out and understanding what our customers' needs are. So initially, the first point of call is understanding what that customer needs and what that country uh, requirements are. 
So when you, you, you essentially then would go into a market. So if sitting in South Africa, if we were exploring uh, migrants in South Africa sending money to Senegal, for instance, the first port of call is understand that market, understand that customer, understand how to reach them, and then enable them to then send remittances across. And then once we have done that, it's then bedding down, um, so expanding on the existing product, so the remittance product, and as well as assessing what other additional products that we can um, we can assist that customer with. So that essentially would be market development. It's looking at expanding geographically as well as expanding um, with new products into the into these markets. I think with that in mind, because you're talking about different markets, we started off today uh, with myself just describing some of the pain points um, that people have. Yes, uh, we talk about inter-Africa trade and we talk about uh, Africans being on the move. Um, You know, we talk about, uh, you know, some of the pain points that people have. But maybe you could just give us an understanding just around what that remittance market you know, actually looks like, um, yeah, like right now, whatever you can share with us that can help to crystallize in someone's head how big, you know, this thing is. Is it that there's a couple of thousand rand that are that are moving across, uh, one or two dollars uh, that move across every once in a while? Are we talking billions, millions? What are we talking about? So, I mean, uh, on the continent alone, uh, some of the stats released by the World Bank last year for 2022 is... Uh, funds that moved on the continent is between 300 and 500 billion. So that's those are the, the amounts of numbers we're seeing that are going in and out of Africa. And to your point earlier, a lot of it is around the fact that Africans are very mobile at the moment. So there's a lot of intra-Africa migration as well as Africans traveling and moving to either Europe or the US looking for greener pastures. And then what happens is once you're there, it's an essential need for you to be able to spend money back home, either for healthcare, either for education, either for food support. So this for us, when we look at this, this is actually an essential service that we're providing because when you're not providing the service, we then have migrants that are sitting in different countries wanting to send money home. And if there aren't any formal ways to do this, then people end up reverting to the informal markets. And what happens there is there isn't a lot of safety, there isn't a lot of reliability or clarity in the product. So what you'll see now on the continent, and I, I think globally actually, there's been a lot of entrance in the last, I think, five to 10 years or so as far as formal um, remittance providers go. And by those entrants, um, people coming into the market, you've seen that there's been a shift from the informal market to the formal market. So what we are seeing remittances as is actually as a gateway to financial inclusion because the remittance products is usually the first product that you will use and then from there, once you realize that it is safe, it is secure, and my money actually gets where I'm sending it, then you find that people are now more open to engage when we get this, when we're saying to them, okay, now you've you've tested out this uh, sending money across the border, it's worked out. People are more relaxed now. There is more trust for them to now move across the journey to now uh, accessing additional financial services. And then ultimately, what that means for all of us is financial inclusion. So as we're moving along this trajectory of moving people from informal to formal markets. It's not just remittances, it's additional services as well. Now, one can, you know, crystallize something like this, uh, lots of lots of different pain points that people have. 
But one of the examples that's often given is the fact that for a lot of people, um, I like the fact that you started talking about trust um, in a system because uh, sometimes it's not that people don't trust, let's say, your formal financial institutions. It's just that people, you know, apart from the trust factor, people also are wary about the cost. And, you know, you then find people, you know, making somewhat risky decisions, but they're like, okay, fine, I think um, there's a better chance that my money is going to arrive if, let's say, I'm in South Africa and I want to send my money to Malawi or something. I'm just going to give it to a bus driver or someone who's traveling there. And in about a week time, I'm hoping that that money is going to end up on the other side with my brother, my sister, aunt, uncle, or whoever, you know, that money does, uh, does need to go to. And on that side, very keen to then understand from a Mkuru point of view what you guys you know have been seeing on that end whatever you can uh, whatever you're comfortable to share uh, just around uh, I guess the level of traffic that is flowing through your your own systems um, you know on that end because there has been that shift that you're talking about to say people are now more and more you know coming onto some of these platforms and saying okay cool I think I can trust this let's get on let's get on with it mm. I think, I mean, speaking a bit more about that um, trust factor, we found like, you know, it is essential to to ensure that not not only do customers understand that they can send money across a border, but also understand exactly what the product does for them, how to use it, and also transparency as far as pricing goes. And that's been a very big factor because on the face of it, sometimes it does seem like the informal uh, market is cheaper, giving it to a bloke that's going to drive it across the, the, the border and it gets there after a week. But because that pricing isn't always like crystal clear as in what is the fee you're charging? Is there an FX margin? Ultimately, at the end of the day, sometimes uh, senders usually end up spending more than they actually, um, they actually should. So education has been very key for us to ensure that people have a full understanding and that's just harder than trust and growth. And I think growth-wise, I mean, what I can share is I think growth-wise, what we have been seeing over the last um, five years or five years or so is we are constantly seeing double-digit growth on a lot of our core corridors and on some new corridors as well that might not be as obvious. So, for instance, flows that are going from a Zimbabwe to Ghana or an SA to Ghana, which is not specifically uh, something that you, you you necessarily think about, but we're seeing flows grow there. So not necessarily as just a, uh, an increase in value and uh, number of transactions on what are the traditional um, corridors, but it's also seeing how new corridors are also popping up. So we've seen an increased number in that. I mean, to date, we're actually standing into over 50, 50 countries, and that's happened over the last five years or so. So those are some of the growth, um, the growth points. Yeah, it is an interesting one, and at least we can get an understanding. But um, 50, what you call the sending into 50 markets, you know, that's actually quite something. And when you think about financial services in general, um, one can imagine that there must be some complexity when it comes to regulation right uh that's the the sending and receiving because at least with with uh you know 
uh, the the bloke who's driving. At least you're like, okay, fine, I've given you the money, and that's it. That that's where it ends. That guy would just go and give the money on the other side. But when you formalize something, there's oversight, there's you know regulation, there's rules, all of that. Could you talk to us just around what that is looking like, uh, you know, for you guys? And also, I'm very curious to understand: Are there some, I guess, regions that are more popular than others not popular that have that are more ahead with their regulation than others because just tracking it on the continent there have been you know you're starting to see a lot more countries bringing in fintech regulation uh the likes of ghana benin Cote d'Ivoire, you know all of those you know coming in and saying how can we regulate but also at the same time how do we tax you know some of these flows that are that are that are happening so I think our approach is that um, each country is different and therefore the regulation is different. So we don't approach it homogeneously. So our country, uh, sorry, our approach is always very much our, our compliance team. We have specific, a specific team member looking after each regulatory body. And what that results in is that we have great relationships with the regulators. So we're constantly engaging with them and walking the journey together. And we found that that's assisted us because if you if you try and take um, your um, basically your workings currently with the regulator in South Africa and you try and copy and paste that when you're dealing with a regulator, let's say in Kenya or another country, we found that that's a stumbling block. So essentially for us, it's looking at the regulation that already exists and then where we feel that there might be improvements and those improvements are going to assist financial inclusion and assist the customer, then what we then do is continue to uh, engage with the regulators to see if there can be any changes or if there can be any adjustments. Because I think in the last few years, we've seen that there has been a lot of movement and changes in the financial sector due to you know, tech coming along. So we walk hand in hand with each regulator. And I wouldn't specifically say, Muliwa, that there are any specific regulators that are tougher or more difficult than others. I just think that they're different and the approach just needs to be more bespoke and customized as opposed to trying to, you know, have like one one approach between all uh, regulators. Okay. Well, depending on, you know, who you talk to, uh, I know that some of the... Um, especially your 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 mobile networks have been making a lot of noise, um, you know, around some of the fees that are being charged in some of the countries. Um, so it is an interesting uh, space to watch. But maybe zooming in on a specific country, um, in this particular case, Nigeria, um, you know, they tend to have some interesting stances when it comes to regulation. Uh, but I wanted to chat about something that you guys uh, brought out recently. It's a Naira top-up. And for me, it's more around why something like that uh, is something that, because you guys are operating in so many markets and you have so many different products, you know, why that's something that you guys feel is um, is worth making noise about. I think for us, the big reason for that is we feel that it's an answer to the, the pain points that our, our customers have. So previously, um, you wouldn't be able to send Naira top-ups into Nigeria. So, for instance, the product that existed, not for instance, actually, the product that existed would be someone that's sitting in South Africa creates an order, and when they create that order and pay for it to send funds into Nigeria, those funds would then land in USD. 
And then when they land in USD, the Nigerian, um, Nigerian recipient has an option either to um, spend it in that USD or to have it flicked over into Naira. So that added a bit of complexity in that journey. And then as far as like exchange rates and understanding, it, it, it got a bit complicated for, for, for senders and recipients. So through working with one of our strategic partners, what we've enabled, um, what we're enabling rather our senders to do now is create an order, uh, pay for the order, send it, and it lands in a Naira bank account instantly. And we're sending to all the major, the major banks. So I think for us, the reason we're excited and we're talking a lot about this is because it solved a massive complexity problem for our customers. And it's something that we've been trying to solve for I think about 18 months now to two years because the, 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 the noise has been coming from our customers and they've been asking for this. So having been able to actually resolve it and give them the product is what's really excited us and we're shouting about it. And I think we've been live with it now for just over a month and we're seeing flows coming through. We're seeing engagement to our different customers on our social media platforms. Our field agents in the field at the moment are coming back with feedback as to how this uh, product is actually improving our, our senders and recipients. As you're talking, one becomes quite, uh, you know, for those that follow currency flows or at least currency movements in the FX market on the continent, Afri a, you, a lot of your African currencies tend to be quite volatile, um, least of which is the Naira. And I'm very keen to then get the take I'm sure on a practical level, for someone receiving the money in that Naira, um, it reduces the complexity like what you were saying. But just from a risk mitigation point of view, uh, is, it, is it still not better to pick things in, in like USD, you know, simply because um, if, if, if let's say I send money now and it's worth, I don't know, 100,000 Naira, today and with the way that you know some of these fluctuations happen if i take maybe a couple of days to go and get my money <laughs> in 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 lagos or abuja is it not possible that you know my money is worth less than what it was when it was initially sent as opposed to had it been sent in usd you at least know that uh your your am i am i thinking too deeply about this i think um i think i would not, I wouldn't say you're thinking too deeply, but I think it's maybe looking at it from a different angle that for the um, recipients in Nigeria, they're going to spend Naira. So what it's actually giving them is the clarity of knowing what Naira is landing in their bank account. And so that they, there's actually no fluctuation there that's happening, that the funds land in the USD account, right? And then you don't necessarily know what rate you're going to get. So to your, to your point, actually, is if it's sitting there in USD, you don't know what rate you're going to get when you flick it over either today or in the next two days. But when it is sent to you and you are fully aware and it's landing in 100,000, it's, it's 100,000 Naira, you're holding that currency. You can budget for that currency because you know that is the amount of money. Okay, cool. Um, I think the way that you just said it, uh, I, I guess it helps to understand just a little bit, um, you know, what the thinking is on that end. And I guess some of it has to do with, uh, I guess, an education piece. 
um, you know, to say that, okay, fine, um, throughout this discussion, we're talking about the different ways in which uh, people have traditionally been sending and receiving, um, you know, money on the continent. We spoke about the the person on the bus. We have also spoken, you know, to say that um, in a lot of instances, even let's say with Mukuru, you'd send something, it gets you know, based in uh, let's say your USD, and then there's a there's, there's a change that happens on the other side. When you have all of that in mind, one then has to ask who and what you guys are competing with, right? Is it other platforms? You know that you guys are competing with, you know, a world remit, for example, or is it a mentality type of switch that you have to that you have to that you have to fight with? Because sometimes. People are very distrusting of uh, of formal systems or technology and all of that. So, what have you guys found that you're actually competing with? Is it other platforms or is it just the way in which people have tended to do things? I think, um, I mean, as far as competition goes, I w- we don't really view ourselves as competing against competitors. So, as far as like other organizations, the way we see ourselves actually is a fintech platform that's an enabler, and we are always looking to partner with other financial services in an effort to give access to as many people as possible. So that's how we view ourselves, being able to be an enabler and partnering with other financial services. But on your other point, I do think that is something that we are constantly working on because people do have a mindset of, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't trust this. It's new. And there are also other issues such as issues of access. So what we make an effort of doing every day when I wake up, the question is, how do we ensure that we get the technology and we get the product into as many hands as as possible? And a lot of that is changing the mindset and educating people. So that's a lot of work that we're doing then, ensuring that when you're building the solution or when you're offering the product, it is exactly what the customer needs and it serves their pain points as opposed to serving some sort of technological ego where you go away and, you know, you build a shiny, a big and shiny toy, but it actually doesn't serve the purpose of what the customer needs. Mm. And I think an extension of uh, the technology question is, I guess, the use, how different use, how different people use the same technology, right? Because you can offer, uh, let's say, uh, let me use mobile money as an example, uh, because in South Africa, mobile money has largely failed, you know, by a lot of uh, a lot of stats and metrics. Uh, but in the rest of Africa, places like East Africa, and I think uh, it's rising in places like West Africa, people peer to peer payments using your phone is is like an everyday uh, what you call this. It's an everyday way of life for you guys as Mukuru. What have you guys seen? Because you're operating across um, the continent, and you know, at fifty countries, that's practically. Uh, everything from from Cape to Cairo. How do you see, um, I guess, distinct uh, distinguishing factors or different ways in which people are using the technology, or is it largely the same from your experience? I think it's it's quite different, Emmanuel, like you're saying, because you'll find. So we offer several channels that our customers can engage with us. So first line, uh, we we have fielding. So our field field agents assistant signing up our customers and obviously keeping them. In, informed on what the products are, and that's one mean. We also have a contact center that I think at the moment we're speaking up to over 36 languages in that contact center. And then uh, post that, 
We then offer either USSD, um, the Mukuru app, uh, a Mobi site that you can um, you can um, make your you create your orders on. So there's a variety of channels to engage in, and what we've seen is it depends on various factors. So for instance, a person that is far away in a rural area and doesn't have like infrastructure isn't great there, you might find that they will engage with us via USSD. And then you'll find in an in a country like East Africa, for instance, like you mentioned, in a Uganda or a Kenya, you'll find that people there are more um, accustomed maybe to using the Mukuru app. In South Africa, we found that a lot of our customers use um, WhatsApp. So I think people engage with the tech depending on one, their infrastructure, and then two, wherever they are in their digital in their digital journey. So what I think we've worked to do is ensure that we're offering a different suite of, of, of offerings as far as channels, and then our customers then sometimes will walk that journey. So they might someone might start off using USSD, and then they move over to WhatsApp, and then they'll graduate um, to the app. So I think um, to round up my answer, I think I'd say we've tried to, instead of honing in on one specific offering, is ensuring that we're offering a full suite and then we meet our customers, you know, at the point that makes sense for them. Now, that makes sense uh, simply because, yeah, you do need to go where, where your people are and uh, people are not, a mon- are not a monolith and they tend to... Uh, they tend to use this stuff, uh, you know, in very different ways, like what you were highlighting. But then how do you, I guess, I don't want to use the, the term future-proof, but then how do you decide uh, what technologies to invest in that will still be relevant in future? Because USSD has been around for decades now and it's still relevant today. Whereas apps are something that uh, that has come up on in the last decade alone, um, you know stuff like that. How do you how do you think around? Um, you call them channels, right? What channels to actually um, back and put your put your put your put your money into? I think uh, behind these channels, what we've done is we've ensured that um, the tech that sits behind these channels is, I guess, like the word you used is is future-proof and agile enough for us to be able to very quickly respond to whatever customer needs, uh, whatever customer needs arise or whatever opportunities arise. So because that tech and that backbone that we have built is so robust and is, is solid and versatile, we can very quickly say when we started off, we were only offering, for instance, USSD and the contact center. But because that tech was so, is so robust and agile, we're then able to then plug in a WhatsApp, for instance, and then the app. And that speaks to also our um, geographic expansion as well, that we've built that tech so that for us, when we're looking at opening up an additional country, it doesn't take us as long as the first country. So that's what we've looked at, ensuring that we've invested in robust technology that's not only scalable, but also very agile when you think of uh, a technology like uh, like what Mukuru is doing, and there's a bunch of uh, you know, this is not limited just to Mukuru, but when you think about the financial technology landscape, you know, on the African continent, there are a lot of uh, companies that have been attacking what you call this that have been attacking the space, um, Chipa. Um, Jumo, uh, Andela, Flutterwave, 
Um, I guess Waldremit to some extent, Mukuru. Like there's there's a lot that's going on um, out there. When you think of an offering like Mukuru, is this something that uh, can work in a developed market, or um, is this something that is, I guess, more suited to, I guess, the African context, uh, your emerging market types of uh, types of uh, types of markets? I mean, interestingly, we are actually, I think it, it works in the developed market as well because we actually offer the service in the UK as well. So we actually send out of the UK into those 50 countries that I mentioned. And we're at the moment uh, also discussing expansion, looking expanding into, um, into Europe as well, as far as sending out of Europe. But at the moment, part of those 50 countries that we send into that I mentioned include um, Europe as well. So I think there's always a need around transmitting money uh, in a secure way, which is instant, which is reliable. And it's something that I think the traditional um, financial institutions, they don't quite have the same product that you'll find now that money transfer organizations have. So I think to answer your question, I think it's definitely relevant in, in all markets across the globe. All right. So it has been a very interesting uh, discussion, um, you know, talking to Tendai around Mukuru's um, offering, um, you know, talking quite a bit about the state, um, you know, of uh, the remittance, uh, the remittance market um, on the continent. I think the standout number that we heard at the beginning, you said 500 billion, uh, roughly, that's being sent and received across the continent in terms of, you know, those uh, those cross border movements, if I if I heard you correctly. Correct, yes, it's 300 to 300 to 500 billion, and that includes both the informal and um, and formal things. So the informal ones as largely would be estimates from research that's already been conducted. But yes, that's where the number sitting between 300 to 500. That is, uh, you know, some scary numbers that, uh, you know, are coming through. And I think to put it in a local context, at uh, current exchange rates, you'd be looking at, uh, uh, you'd be looking at roughly, I'm going to call it 5.5 trillion, uh, trillion rand to about 10 trillion rand that's uh, moving across. Obviously, it's in, a, in a, it's in a whole basket of different currencies that are moving, um, you know, across the continent. So, you know, very interesting on that end. I'm also just talking about uh, the education piece uh, because at the end of the day, people have, um, people have been sending money across borders for a long time now and people have always found their way around some of these issues. But how do you get more and more people to trust uh, some of these more formalized, um, some of these more formal uh, types of platforms, um, you know, just so that we are able to actually measure um, what's going on? Um, because at least from the research that I've done, cross-border remittances tend to have a bit of a gray area as well, um, where sometimes because you have the people that are giving money to their friend, to the driver, and the people you sometimes aren't able to formally measure, you know, what the actual, you know, real number is on the ground. So who knows, maybe that uh, 300 to 500 billion that we're talking about is what we know of, and uh, it could actually it could actually be, um, you know, a much larger number. So it has been a very interesting, uh, you know, conversation that we've had been having with Tendai. And perhaps, you know, before we let her go, we can just get some thinking around where 
where she sees you know the the market moving uh because you know when it looks when when we're talking about uh the development um because she told us at the beginning that a big part of her job is you know looking to see um you know where the market is going to go where the market is going and the like so maybe she can just uh, give us some last insights into how she sees the the evolution of the space going forward uh, people keep telling us about the mobile phone that is the best thing you know maybe it's crypto you know maybe it's the blockchain who knows but uh, what are you looking at in that i think uh, at the moment one of the biggest things uh, i mean that keeps me up at night is is that um, that journey from uh, dig- from cash rather to digital that a lot of our, our customers are on and i think what we're going to see as in the future is there's going to be quite a few more um, individuals that'll move now from simply just utilizing cash to actually they might move to a hybrid scenario where I'll be sending money and when I pay for that order, I pay for it in cash, but when it lands in my mother's account, it lands in her mobile wallet. And then from that point of view, you'll then get those that fully move across that create the order on their mobile phone, make payments using uh, their mobile phone and it lands in either a bank account or it lands uh, in a mobile wallet. So I think definitely there's going to be a lot of a lot of shift, but I think we should be careful in thinking that this is going to happen overnight because it is also a journey that individuals are on and it's taking different amounts of time. So I think that's definitely one piece that we are going to see. I think remittances are going to continue to grow on the continent as well, because we know our continent is growing. We're a very, very young continent. So I think remittances are going to continue to grow. There's a lot of headwinds, I think, that as a globe we're facing at the moment with what's happening with the financial economy. So growth levels might not be at the level of last year, but I still do believe that we are going to see um, growth across the continent and actually globally as well, as far as remittances go. But I think financial inclusion is also going to continue to increase as our as as customers move from simply just remitting formally to actually continuing to access different financial um, touch points using uh, formal, um, formal providers. And I think that's going to take us to a point where we see a lot more of the African diaspora being financially included and becoming um, quite a bit more digital. So very much an exciting space. And I think there's a lot, a lot more to do and a lot more to achieve. So super, super excited to see uh, where this is going to go. All right. So the battle against cash continues. Um, and then at the same time, uh, looking at, uh, you know, increased uh, increased remittances, expecting that market to grow. And then uh, in turn, expecting that financial inclusion, um, you know, will also go up as people take up more and more of the financial of the formal financial channels. So that's been it. We were chatting uh, to Tendai, um, uh, Tendai Tizrai, who is uh, market development manager over at Mukuru. Fascinating discussion, as I said, and it will be good to catch up in future and uh, get a sense on uh, progress on some of the things uh, that we've been uh, talking about today. Who knows, you know, maybe the next time that we that, uh, you know, we speak to her, they'll be telling us that, um, you know, they've been able to do these uh, these cash outs in uh, local currency across all of uh, you know, their various markets. So, Tendai, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, yes. Um, just oh thanks so much Emily. just to to add um on on that point so at the moment for all the um 
the countries that we currently send, uh, the funds actually do land, majority of the funds do land in, in local countries. It was just Nigeria that was a, a unique, unique, unique scenario. Okay, cool. So that's where we end off. Thank you so much, Jendai. Perfect. Thanks so much, Miliwa. Thank you for having me. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.